On this episode of The Playbook, I am so excited. I have Wayne Dyer's kids, Sage and Serena Dyer, the incredible Wayne Dyer, and they have a new book, The Knowing. And we're gonna talk about how children come through you, not for you. Join me for all of this and more on The Playbook. This is Entrepreneur's The Playbook, where each week I bring you some of the greatest athletes, celebrities, and entrepreneurs to talk about their personal and professional playbook to success and what made them champions on the field and in the boardroom. I'm your host, David Meltzer. I have two exceptional authors, may or may not be known from our community, but I guarantee you know the family name. Sage and Serena Dyer uh, have written a book called The Knowing. They're both speakers, but they also are the daughters of my hero, my mentor, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I want to welcome both of you to my special home, The Playbook. And I can't wait for me to share with the world the things that not only you've learned, but you've appreciated and now are willing to give away uh, for the betterment of others, to elevate others, to elevate yourself. Um, I know it must be really difficult in some ways to have a father like Dr. Wayne Dyer uh, because you are competing against something or compared against something. And just the fact that comparison robs joy makes things more difficult to appreciate what you've learned and to give it away. So I wanna start with writing a book like The Knowing. There had to be some resistance that you are going to be compared to the extraordinary books that your father has written instead of, hey, maybe we can appreciate what our father has written and we'd like to give that away with the added value that Sage and Serena have for what has been written and now is pertinent and relevant to today. Well, let me just jump in. This is Serena and uh, thank you again for having us. That was quite an introduction. Um, But I can say that I know that I speak for Sage and myself, which I usually don't do. She's my younger sister. So I try not to speak for her because you know, that's when the claws come out. But, uh, daughters. <laughs> Only three, but I hear you. <laughs> but, but I will say that I know that I speak for her and myself when, um, when I say that there was absolutely no hesitation in putting this book out because we were, I know this is going to sound cheesy or cliche, but we were truly raised to believe and to know that there is enough sunshine for everybody. There's enough abundance in the universe for everybody. And the more abundance I have, the more opportunity I have to give it away. In fact, I'll take it a step further and say, we were really raised to know that the more I give it away, the more abundance I have. And that the universe responds to who you are, not just to what you want. And so, go ahead. Yes, it's interesting, I had to interrupt you because you know, I, I sat here and I was just so privileged to help with the book, meaning to promote you and promote the book. And I'm going to introduce you to everyone I know because everybody <laughs> needs to read this book. But yet you were surprised that I truly subscribe to that philosophy. It was, you know, to, even a surprise to you and your sister that, hey, there's a lot of people with big followings like yours that maybe talk a talk, but you actually are, you know, subscribing to what you told me you believe. Why was it such a surprise that people haven't learned that lesson? I would say it was a surprise to me um, in in some way, but in 
the thing that was surprising to me was just how generous you have been toward us and how receptive you have been toward our message and how willing you have been to share your platform. So that was surprising to me. But I do actually believe that generous people, and obviously you're generous by your nature, that's why you're having us on and you've been willing to share our book. <laughs> um, generous people are generous whether they're poor or whether they're wealthy because generosity is their nature. And so I was surprised with just how much you meant it because some people say it and they don't really mean it, but I wasn't surprised given your level of success, if that makes sense. Oh, it does. <laughs> and, and Sage, how about you? How you know, does this all apply? I know rare enough, your sister's actually speaking for you. What's your perspective? What's <laughs> yeah, your perspective? I'm letting it, letting <laughs> on, it slide this time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were just raised to believe that um, what you put your attention on grows. And if you're putting your attention on lack and that you don't have enough to give away, you're going to create more lack and you're going to create more opportunity to not have enough to give away. Whereas if you give yourself away freely because you know that you're tapped into an ocean of abundance. I mean, our dad used to say you could take a dropper to the ocean every single day and take water out and it will never be any less because it's infinitely abundant. And that's how you have to think of your life, whether you're there or not. I remember my dad uh, one summer was really focused on seeing the clock at 1111. And he had all of us <laughs> doing the same thing, which is just like, a, it's just a silly experiment. But if we saw our phone at 1111, we were supposed to text him. So he would see his phone at 1111. What it really taught me was the first thing I said, which is what you put your attention on grows and expands. Because as soon as we, we started saw, doing that, right. we were seeing 1111 every, everywhere you know, today. And then also other places, license plates and, you know, receipts and totals on, you know, so it's just what you put your attention on grows. Yeah, I know my yeah. birthday's my birthday's one eleven. So when I heard your father there tell you that go. story, it just got even worse for me. <laughs> automatic yeah. entry to heaven. If you have a one eleven birthday or eleven eleven birthday, automatically you go to heaven. I love it. No, just kidding. I'm just saying that because you're you're being so nice to us. So. <laughs> I love that. You know, I, I want to get to that mathematical equation, what I call the dire mathematical equation of luck, which is what you pay attention to and give your intention to equal the coincidences in your life. And it's a mathematical equation of luck that I've learned through you and, and your father. But one of the things that I think is interesting is you wrote a book called Knowing, and a lot of people think they know things. And one of the other lessons that I've learned in life is that when we think we know something, we're basing it on partial evidence. And that partial evidence is based on senses that are faulty, memory that's faulty. It's based on ignorance, in other words, as well as doubt and fear. And partial evidence appearing real can actually create fear. But yet you titled your book, Knowing. And so I was wondering, you know, Sage, I'll start with you on this one. You know, what does the title mean to you? And why did you guys decide on, you know, the title knowing? Yeah. So, I mean, just so something you just said triggered something my dad always said, which was that it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. And, you know, I think there's so much truth in that. So much of us, so many of us are so convicted in our beliefs and often they're wrong. 
And the knowing for us, when you read the book, you'll realize it's not that at all. It's not something that you're loud about. It's not a, it's not a conviction. It's an inner knowing. It's almost akin to like an intuition. And it's something that um, I like to think of it as like a lighthouse, an, an internal lighthouse that we all have the ability to tap into and to find guidance from, but often our convictions and, and society and things like that get in the way of tapping into it. And it was after our dad passed away that, um, you know, for me, I'll say I was challenged for the first time to, was I going to be able to apply his life's work? Because for the first time in my life, I was really going through something that was hard and, you know, struggling and it made me question things. And so was I going to be able to apply his work to the situation I was now in? Because prior to that, I was pretty smooth sailing and, and it didn't happen overnight. And it took a lot of um, commitment and, you know, recommitment and changing my thoughts and aligning. And what we found was that just a, a lot of, uh, we, we experienced so many signs and synchronicities. And you said coincidences, like our dad used to say the word coincidence is derived from the mathematical term coincide, which means two angles that fit together perfectly. And we've taken this word to mean two things that happen accidentally, but they seem cool and it's synchronistic, but really it's something that's happening perfectly and you should pay attention to those. And, you know, coincidences are part of the knowing in our book. And it's, it's just tapping into your own inner guidance it's ta it's it's going with the flow not against the current um it's it's taking the path of least resistance we give a lot of examples in the book on how to tap into uh your knowing how to stay on the path of least resistance and you know things like that you, you know say so to uh the shift in the paradigm between you know wanting to be happy to be wealthy to be worthy uh, and then shifting that paradigm to understanding what we already are. Obviously, your father spent a lot of time with the existential understanding of I am, which I learned in 11th grade, by the way, and thought I talk about knowing. <laughs> I, I gave it about two minutes of my attention because I'm like, yeah, I get it. You know, and right. I am 53 years old exploring three letters, two words. I am in depth almost every day, whether it be from your father's works, from the knowing book that you've written or Course in Miracles, really exploring uh, what stands behind these things. And, you know, what, uh, Serena, was the reasoning behind the book? You know, beyond, you know, the lessons that you've learned, there seems to be some reason or reasoning behind writing it. Honestly, I think it was a fear that our dad was going to haunt us if we didn't continue his work. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but in, in all honesty, sort of, um, I think that there was always a, a desire to continue getting the experience of being raised by him and the experience of growing up from the time that we were essentially conceived um, in a spiritual household to talking about that, to getting that message out, because there's so many people that live according to rules we were not allowed to live as children like for example sage and i are the youngest two well youngest two girls of eight children and um we were never allowed to use the worm with the word blame blame was just not allowed because we were taught that you had to take responsibility for everything that shows up in your life and so 
that's really unique. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that that is not the way most people are raised. And that's definitely not the way most people think. So that's just one example of sort of this kind of realization that Sage and I had that we've had this really unique upbringing. And in so many ways, there have been like true miracles that have taken place in our lives or in people's lives who think similarly to the way we were taught to think. And that is something that you cannot keep to yourself. It's something that, um, I mean, it's so worth sharing. You'll, you'll, you'll take any risk there, there is to get the word out there. And I think that that's how we both felt. And I think we both did feel actually, as weird as it may sound, I think we both did feel our dad's presence. Um, Sage and I had each written a book with him before he passed away. So I think we both felt his, his kind of like, even before he died, he was kind of preparing us to do some of his work. And um, now it's like, it's a no brainer because it's the truth. So many people don't realize that what you think your thoughts are energy and that the entire universe is energy and that you attract in life what you are. Your, your energy vibrates at a certain frequency and everything that you bring into your life is on that same frequency. And I think that's a really unique way of growing up and, and hearing about things because it's so much easier to say like it's her fault or it's my mother-in-law's fault or it's my ex-husband's uh, doing. I am this way because my parents are this way. I mean, to have to take responsibility for everything that shows up in your life and all of the things that you are, including the bad, there's so much freedom in that. There's so much power in that. And there's also, um, it sucks sometimes. Right. You want to blame someone else. <laughs> the lessons, right, of accountability, learning to mm -hmm. ask yourself, what did I do to attract myself, to attract this to myself, and what am I supposed to learn from it? One of the other things, I'm you know, a father of four. I have three daughters. And I'm constantly telling myself, you know, these girls, they, they're not for me, they're through me. And I'm listening to both of you and I can see that your father came, th you came through your father and now he's coming back through you uh, with appreciation. And I, that appreciation stems from your ability to take what he has shown you and appreciate it, meaning give it your perspective, finding your light, your love and your lessons from it, your forgiveness in it, your accountability of it and the inspiration that it brings to you and through you to others. What does that mean to you now that your father has passed? Um, the idea that you come through your father, not for him. And I was hoping, you know, Sage, you give me one example and Serena, one example of how you see your father coming through, not to or for you, but through you without him always telling you, but you watching and learning and, and allowing. I know your father's very open uh, to allowing you to make your choice, choices in life, you know, whether it was dropping out of college or whatever <laughs> else some of your sisters or brothers <laughs> did, as, yeah. as I've learned. But I really would love to learn about how here, the two youngest daughters, your father has come through uh, you, not two or four. Yeah, I mean, I can uh, speak to that. I literally have a poem on, it's on a canvas in my son's room. I have a two-year-old that says, it's the I, I'm forgetting the uh, the author of the poem, but it the, it starts out with your children come through you, not for you. You know, your children are not your children. They are the product of life's longing for itself and they come through you and not from you uh, or for you. And um, 
I can say that, you know, my dad, the reason that's on a canvas in my son's room is because my dad said that all the time. And it, it spoke to me when I was found out I was pregnant. And I said, this isn't my son for me. I'm not having a baby. He's I'm having a baby who's going to turn into a person and have his own wants and desires. And it was, I can wrap my head around that somewhat easily because that's exactly how we were raised. There was no pressure from either of our parents to be certain people to go to a certain college or to um, follow a certain religion. Yeah. Marry a certain person. Right. None of there that. Was, yeah. It was just an, it was uh, an environment of an expectation to be kind and loving to one another and towards ourselves. And as long as we were doing that, uh, our parents supported us. They weren't open. They weren't like overly involved in our lives growing up. My mom still is not. My dad was not. They weren't concerned. I mean, they had their own lives to live, their own dharmas to fulfill. And they they parented us and they guided us very much. But they also allowed us to be who we wanted to be, which I think is a freedom that as parents, we owe our children. And if you don't give it to them, it comes out in other ways, you know. And the truth is that we ended up wanting to spend more time with our parents, yeah. honestly, than either one of them wanted to spend with us because you're Finally, so drawn. parents like me and my wife, my, my right. girls just came home from college. Like, you know, you're the only parents that don't want their kids to move back in with them. <laughs> like, all the other parents don't want them to leave. I have a PR guy, Jake, and his mom is like, don't give him any more money. He's going to move out. I was like, I, I can't believe I have a mom telling me not to pay this kid more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, exactly. what you'll end up ha having is children that don't ever want to leave you because at the end of the day, we want to be around people that see us and appreciate us for who we are, not for who they expect us to be, not for what they believe we ought to be, but for who we really are. And who wouldn't want to be friends with somebody like that? Who wouldn't want to spend time with somebody like that? And that was how both of our parents were. Yeah, our why. dad used to get on stage and sing the song, Don't Fence Me In. Yeah. Uh, and he, you know, he has a terrible voice, but because he used to say that it's, it's in our, it's in our DNA, it's in our soul's nature to want to expand. Nobody to wants grow. to be around somebody. Yeah. To grow and expand. Nobody wants to spend their time around somebody who fences them in, you know, and it's an important thing to remember in relationships too. I mean, I think I'm good about it with my son, but I'm not that great about that with my husband. So it's something that I have to work on, you know, don't fence him in because then he just pushes me and we push each other away. I mean, I think it's true in all, all forms of relationships. Don't fence other people in. let them be naturally drawn to you. Last question real quick, you know, writing the book, knowing, I know when I wrote my first book, uh, and I know this isn't your first, first book, but when I wrote my first book, it really changed my perspective on so many different things. And I was hoping that both of you could share with me how writing this book together about the knowing has changed your perspective, uh, if at all. Yeah, so I could say that um, just to briefly answer your last question, which was about what I um, what I what I'm reminded of from my dad in this moment, and I think that um, it ties into what you just asked. And it's just there's this sense that um, in every moment, in every experience, in every situation you find yourself in in your life, you have a choice to choose how you view it, to choose how you approach it. 
And writing this book, um, Sage and I wrote separately and then we combined it together. And um, I would say that going back through so much of what he worked on, what he wrote, what he spoke about, I definitely took it for granted you know, he passed away when I was 30 and when Sage was 25. So we were pretty young and really hadn't gone through a lot of difficulties in life yet. And I had no idea that the year I lost him, I was going to lose basically every everything else in my life, including my stepson. Um, you know, losing a child is obviously really painful. But what I kept going back to over and over again was this thing that he would talk about, which was the inner Tahiti. And it was this idea, I mean, it comes from a Moby Dick uh, quote, and it's this, it's this notion that no matter what is going on inside in your life or inside of yourself or around you, you have the choice to find your own inner Tahiti, to find your own inner peaceful, beautiful island and to come from that place. And it's like your attitude is everything, right? He used to say your attitude is everything, pick a good one. But it's even more than that. It's your relationship with yourself, with God or universe or whatever you want to call it, with other human beings, you have the ability to go within, to find that part of you that recognizes that you are all one, that everyone is connected, and that your highest self really does want peace. And you can come from there. Or you cannot. And whichever one you choose, that will be your experience in life. And I think that because of losing him and then, like I said, all the, the hard things that I went through and then writing this book and then writing about those hard things, I think um, I was just reminded of that so often. And I have found myself more and more and more coming from, I call it my inner Maui, sorry, Herman Melville, <laughs> inner Tahiti was great line, but for me it's inner Maui. Um, but it's just knowing that I can come from there more and more. And it's like he used to say, someone is the sage, actually, it, the line was the sage is kind to the kind and kind to the unkind because kindness is his nature. And um, for me, I think it was. I've just thought of that so often. I've really just gone there and remembered that peace is my nature and um, I can always choose peace other than this. I love it. Finish up, Sage. Yeah. yeah, give us a little bit of your journey perspective. Yeah, as far as writing the book, um, what it brought into my life was Screen and I, like she said, we were writing separately. Um, most of the writing that I did took place in the year after my dad passed away. I was very much called to write this book. I didn't even know I was writing a book when I first started writing. I was just called to write. Serena was doing the same thing, and we ended up combining our work, like she said. But then uh, we kind of stopped after that because that was six years ago that our dad passed away almost and we didn't pursue it and it kind of fell by the wayside and we didn't, uh, for a couple of years, we didn't do much with it. I found out I was pregnant um, in 2018. Like I, I say unexpectedly, it, I knew what I was doing, but it, it also shocked me and it, and it, it, it rocked me in a way that I wasn't, I was, you know, I was married. I knew what I was doing, but I got pregnant. And okay, I, just, I have a fourth child like that. I call him baby. Okay, oops. There you go. He's called baby oops. I knew what I was yeah. doing. I was in well, a our, dad, but... our dad called Sage withdraw. Just so you yeah. understand. Oh, nice. how, I love that has the same sense of humor as I do. That's yeah. Withdraw. Withdraw dire. Was so. my mix. 
my nickname. <laughs> so I can uh, relate to that. But so I found out I was pregnant and I just had all these like, um, really, I was, I felt so scared. And I hate to say the word devastated, not devastated, but devastated for the life that I felt like I was leaving behind all of a sudden. I was 29, living in New York, traveling, living this great life. And all I could think about as soon as I peed on that stick and it said I was pregnant was my life is over. (laughs) And not only is my life over, you know, my social life, all that, I thought I'm never going to have a career. I thought all these things that, that just turns out that none of them are true. I now have a two-year-old who I love and adore. He's the love of my life. But, um, and you're nine months pregnant. Um, yeah, I'm also nine months pregnant. Sorry if I sound out of breath. Uh, I remember there being a moment after my son was born, not, not right after, but a couple months after and realizing how happy I was being his mother, um, that I, I heard the line or in my head, I remember the line, there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. And I understood it for the first time because, um, I realized, you know, being a mother was not the way to happiness for me staying single and not single. I was married, but you know what I mean? Without children and traveling and doing whatever I wanted, my life also was not the way to happiness for me. I bring the happiness to my life every day. You know, I bring the, I can choose to see purpose in every single thing that I do, which brings me a sense of happiness. I don't like when, I don't like this idea that we go out and we have to find our one purpose. I think that that's a scary thought. And you could think like, well, I'm in my thirties and I still haven't found it, or I'm in my forties or my fifties and I still haven't found it. I don't think it works that way. At least not for me. We find purpose in everything that we do. And then that is your purpose. I find purpose in doing this podcast with both of you right now. And I'm going to find purpose when I go back out into the living room and I take care of my son and I'm his mother. And um, yeah, and and happiness is the way you bring the happiness. I, I, talked to Chris Gardner and Will Smith who did a movie called The Pursuit of Happiness. I don't know if you guys are young enough or old enough to know it, but it's a great movie. Them, yeah. Totally got it wrong, right? According to your dad, happiness is the pursuit. And right. more <laughs> importantly, uh, your father taught me one other thing, listening to both of you, your thoughts about your purpose are your purpose. And that right. was one of those great things that changed my perspective and my purpose and my ability to give meaning to everything I see just like he's taught you, me, all of us here and how it's changed our lives. And I want to have you on so many more things. I'm going to introduce (laughs) you. I want everyone to go out, buy the knowing, get the knowing. It's everywhere recently uh, released. Uh, Let's, it's one thing to learn from Wayne Dyer, but I think uh, under my mission in life to empower over a billion people to be happy, it's the appreciation and I'm in almost tears thinking someday maybe my daughters will sit here and give their appreciation to what I allowed them to experience through me. Um, and they will. Beautiful, sure they beautiful will. example of empowerment and uh, just kindness and love, which are things I live by. My favorite quote is to be kind to your future self. And I must be doing something right to have two blessed angels of Wayne Dyer's here with me, Sage and Serena Dyer, the authors of the new book, The Knowing, incredible entrepreneurs, speakers, and souls. Thank you so much for joining me. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of The Playbook as much as me. On a personal note, I just wanted to thank everyone for making The Playbook such a success. Don't forget to continue it by sharing, subscribing, and listening to your favorite episodes. This is Dave Meltzer with The Playbook.